Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Carmen Bugan here in the studio. Carmen, welcome back. You're a friend of the show, pal of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be back here. And since 2012, I think, was our last conversation um, on, on radio. Yes. Um, and it was for burying the typewriter. Yes, that was for, yeah, in 2012, I published Bearing the Typewriter, The Childhood Under the Eye of the Secret Police. That was my memoir, yes. Yes, I still, I actually know exactly where that book is on my bookshelf. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's a great one. Um, Thank you. And, and since then, you've also written a second memoir. Um, as well. Yes, it's called, it's it's still in the manuscript. I'm trying to place oh, that. Good. So it's called Life Without the Country. But I have uh, written other books that were published. And one of them is Releasing the Porcelain Birds. A book of, a book of poems? It's a book of poems transcripts and, and transcripts. It's a book that uh, transformed the secret police records on my family for the past, for, for all the years that we lived in Romania, actually, since 1960s, all the way till we left in 1989. Um, Maybe we should, yeah. could, could we talk a little bit, like frame this, your story for listeners, Carmen? Because maybe folks didn't hear our 2012 conversation. conversation yes. um, and the book that we're talking about, the book on the table with us today is Lilies from America, New and Selected Poems, out in 2019 with Shearsman Books, a UK Yes. Press. And this book covers the the story. Like if you haven't if someone hasn't had a chance to read the the memoir burying the typewriter, you can start to you have a way in to feeling the story through the narrative poems that are in this selected collection. Yes, absolutely. Uh these poems uh start with uh, memories of my father's demonstration against the communist government in uh, 1983 in Romania. And then they move uh, through to our life under surveillance uh, in Romania, immigration to the United States, and um, being an immigrant without money, without language here. And then they move back when I was granted the secret police records and our family that give the background story of my father and my mother before we were born. And the way my father was a dissident before I was born and before he married my mother. Um, those records have become part of the poems in releasing the porcelain birds, and some of those poems are represented in Lilies from America. And then the collection, this one, moves on to our life now, here. So it really no, no covers poems. the whole story of the family, I think, from the nineteen oh from the nineteen sixties all the way until now. And the the last section in Lily's 
from America is 2016 to 2019. So That's right, yeah, up until last year. Right up until publication of, of this selected. That's right, yes, yes. So it's it in a way, this is a very long story, and each section of the book represents different stages of our lives, the different time periods, historical periods, but also the poems in this selection circle over the old pain that has been part of our family under communist oppression. Um, and now that we're learning more and deepening more that understanding of what it means to be free, what kind of sacrifices one needs to make. Um, mm. I think in a sense, this book here brings to a clearer understanding what my father's vision of life is. It took me, I'm going to be 50 in June now. Only now I understand that for him, there is no family without freedom. And so the sense of him leaving us in 1983 to protest against uh, Ceausescu, a dictator, and against the communist government there. And, putting... just, and just to, to clarify, too, he left the family to do a one-man protest that seems so brave and is portrayed so vividly in in the poems in the in the early pages of the book Carmen where he he drives alone with signs on the card placards and and i think and and, and yeah. leaflets to, and 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 people watched him as he drove like, that's right he, yes they they watched him and then what's wonderful about writing the book bearing the typewriter is that um i was uh, being con- I was contacted by a man who was 15 years old when my father protested in Bucharest, and he was on one of the buses, and he saw all the buses stop. And so he said he spent the rest of his life wondering what happened to that man, who that man was, and he didn't know till I wrote the book, and he read the book. So there are all wow. kinds of circles that the writing sort of brings and closes and opens and you know it's it's a whole narrative of uh, of of life and so it sounds like putting together lilies from america it was a way of seeing these poems talk to each other because by choosing which poems you were going to have represent each section of um previously published books it they put them in a it's like they're in a different light is what you're saying they're talking to each other in a different way, or maybe you can see some of your own themes reemerging, and and also it sounds like transforming in that reemergence. Absolutely. I mean, I think this what these poems have done uh, by uh, being by themselves were a sort of cry out into the world. Look at what happened. Um, now that they are together in a collection, when I put them together. I was following an emotional narrative as well as a historical narrative and sort of making clear, understanding for myself first, how my own life uh, experience, having children, being married, having my own family, wanting naturally to protect my children, how that put into perspective the old poems. You see, as you grow, there's, there's the whole narrative of time and how you grow with the poems, I think. And and you're seeing that 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 narrative that in a way it's it, you're able to reclaim your story 
through these poems because it seems like to me from from reading them and from reading about some of your story um that there were times when you also wanted to distance yourself from Romania, uh, for for example. And it, I think it wasn't until you were pregnant with your, your son, your first child, when you started not resisting it anymore. I think someone at Oxford had said, why don't you, you've got this story to tell. Um, and you were telling it, I think, drafting it in poems. Like the poems were coming then and you were working with your story through poems and they were trying to encourage you to write a memoir that's right, yes. But you were resisting it. Very much Like so. another form of resistance, I guess. It was, was yeah. yeah. I mean, I was resisting it. For one thing, I thought, well, that's my story. It's boring. Whoever wants to know about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I've said it in the poems. You know, nobody really needs to know all the details. It's it, Really, I didn't find it interesting in, in itself. And then what happened was just that. Life got in the way and made it possible. I was pregnant with my son. And I was singing Romanian lullabies to the growing belly. And and my husband said, there is a very big disconnect here. On one hand, you're running away from those memories. On the other hand, look at you. You're, you're, you're saying prayers. You're putting holy oil on your belly. You, you're so Romanian. You, you know, so why don't you write the book explaining it? Maybe it's time for you to write that book. And so I wrote the book to explain to my son that there is this Romania, but it's not all evil and it's not all good. And it's, it's complicated. And if he ever wants to go back there, he has a store of memories that, you know, he can access. It's like a little roadmap. But really to explain to him why it is so complicated for me to, you know, um, talk about mm -hmm. what happened there. Because a lot of it is very traumatic. So, so, I, so I wrote the, the story for him. In fact, he read it as a school uh, assignment. Oh, it was assigned to him? It, no, it wasn't assigned oh, no. to him. Okay. He, he decided to do it as his own extra reading at school, and oh, okay. he wrote a book report on it. And so um, it was, you know, astonishing to see that he was asking for the book. And, mm. uh, he, and, and then he read it, and then so, you know, he wrote the report, and he went to school, and he told his teacher, I'm so proud of my grandpa. And <laughs> it was such a, it brought the family together with yet another layer, you see. Mm. Um, and so that, that in itself it's, has its own reward. Sort of the book has received its first reader. But the reader that it was in, first intended for. First intended for, yes, yeah. And, and so, so it was received by, by him. Um, and then, of course, it's out there for the rest of the people to understand um, how complicated it is when, when people in power make decisions of how our lives are about to be how our lives should go, and um, and we suffer because of it. Um, Carmen, why was it why was it important to write the memoir and have the poems? Because the poems are also telling the story too, and using beautiful language and and what poems can do, like the the opportunities of poems. But it seems like when we're talking about burying the typewriter, the memoir, and, and the one that you have in manuscript form now, too, it, it, that has a power to it. That is especially... In the, a different way. In a different way. I think the second memoir, I found it absolutely necessary because in a second memoir, after I studied my the, the family transcripts from the secret police, my father was 78 years old at that time. That was in 2013. And I said to him, I want to go with you in those prisons where you were tortured. 
I want to see it for myself. And that was a, it was another form of witnessing, if you, if you will. It was a, a way for me to step with him side by side and understand really what freedom meant to him and what he saw that others have suffered through in order to be free. And um, in that sense, it made me very proud to be a Romanian. So you see now the relationship with Romania is being rewritten in a sense, because here I am, um, when we were into Jilava, into Ayud, those prisons where he suffered by himself, but Ayud is specifically a prison where I visited him as a teenager. And when you were about 18. Yeah, well, 15, so, 16, oh, oh, 17. Okay. And I found transcripts of a, a prison visit that I personally had no memories of. And yet there was the transcript and it was uh, Bugana, the visit with his daughter. And reading that transcript, it, it was quite uh, extraordinary. And for me to go back and have my father take me to the room 20 what he, where he was tortured was a way for me to understand that, but also to understand that I didn't come from a country that didn't fight for itself. That narrative needs to be corrected. I, I've come from a country where people like my father um, were fighting for their own uh, right to be free. They didn't just try to run away to get a better life somewhere else. They really, and I think that's a very major narrative that is missing from the history of the Cold War Eastern Europe. I think everybody is saying the story that, oh, the Cold War sort of happened and the revolutions happened and then these Europeans sort of flooded the world. It's actually not like this. It's been in the works for decades before by resistors like my father. So it was important for me to witness firsthand while he is alive those moments, those decades where, where people said, but I want to live here, I want my land, and I want my food, and I want my freedom, and I want my family in my country. You know, it's, it, so it's... it's it's important, I think, because we're dispossessed as immigrants here. And there is that narrative of who are you and mm. what are you doing, especially these days Yes, in, in this political uh, situation where everybody foreign somehow um, is, a, is a beggar um, who is just coming to get a hand-me-down. So I think it's good to correct that. That's, that's part of the reason why I've done it. Let's take a short break, and then we come back. More today with Carmen Bugan here. The book on the table with us, Lilies from America, New and Selected Poems. We've got Gina and Sam behind the glass. Bree as a studio audience. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Bye. 
Welcome back if you're just tuning in. So glad you did. Carmen Bugan is here today. Lilies from America, new and selected poems out with Shearsman Books, UK 2019. Um, you're in town, Carmen. Because you love the University of Michigan, <laughs> go blue. <laughs> yes. And an RC alumna. Yes. 1996. Yes. Right? Woo-hoo. Yes. Um, and when when your family um, when your family emigrated, you you came via Rome to Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's correct. Yes. Yes. So we we spent a week in Rome. Yes. But. 12 days or something like this yeah but so michigan has is definitely has a place in your heart and is it is it true that your 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 family your your parents also like they they've stayed in michigan even though i think you and your husband and kids you i think you're in new york now yeah so now i'm in new york um i left in 2000 to get my phd um in in at oxford university in england and then i stayed on um i got married um, there. Well, not there. I brought uh, my Italian husband, I brought him to Rockford next to Grand Rapids in Michigan, and we were <laughs> married um, there. And then we we moved to France for seven years. So nine years in England, seven years in France, and we just now we've moved back. But then we moved to New York. Um, it's all because of his work now. Uh, but my family has stayed, and this year we have celebrated 30 years of... Um, uh, since we've come to, to the United States. And, and they're here. My sister is here. She works at the University of Michigan Hospital. So she has been a go blue all along. My brother my brother went here to university as well. So we're all a Michigan family. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carmen, you know, I'll, before we go any further, I'm so enjoying talking with you. I forgot to read your bio. So I'll do that so we can fill in some of um, the professional pieces and then get back to the the ideas and the poems. Carmen Bugan's books include the memoir Burying the Typewriter, Childhood Under the Eye of the Secret Police, which has received international critical praise, the Bread Loaf Conference Bakeless Prize for Nonfiction, and was a finalist in the George Orwell Prize for Political Writing and the Dayton Literary Peace Prize. Her collections of poems are Releasing the Porcelain Birds and The House of Straw and Crossing the Carpathians. She is also the author of a critical study on Seamus Heaney and East European Poetry and Translation, Poetics of Exile. Her work has been translated into several languages, and she is a regular reviewer for Harvard Review Online and has a review brewing right now on Carolyn Forche. Bougain was awarded a large grant from the Arts Council of England, was a Creative Arts Fellow in Literature at Wolfson College, Oxford University, was a Hawthornden Fellow, the 2018 Helen DeRoy Professor in Honors at the University of Michigan, and is a George Orwell Prize Fellow. She has a doctorate in English Literature from Balliol College, Oxford University, and lives with her family in New York now. I think that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And thanks for choosing the songs for today's program, too. Oh, thank you. The one we just listened to is, is um, it comes from uh, The Snowman, um, which was made into a movie. It's a book without words. Um, and we used to play that a lot to my son right after he was born. So it's a winter song for our family. It was lovely. It's so evocative. Um, tomorrow you'll be reading at Literati with the poet David Cope. 
Yes. Um, so around 7 p.m., 7 p.m. At 7 p.m., yes. And, and, you know, David Cope is the first poet I met in the United States and my first teacher of poetry. So he is responsible for my meeting of Allen Ginsberg. Um, he supported the publication of my very first poem in the English language at the um, um, magazine, the, the college magazine at the Grand Rapids Community College. And we have remained very close friends for the past 30 years. So I'm delighted that he will be joining me tomorrow. It will be a lot of fun to read together. And I think one of the last times you were here at, at Michigan, you read, there was a reading with David Cope and also... With Ken, Ken Michalowski, Michalowski, who, yeah, so David Cope <laughs> sent me to Ken Michalowski because they're friends. So he said, you know, you have to um, teach her. And, and what so, a teacher he is. And he what is, a teacher, and, and he's poet. an extraordinary what teacher a, and poet. And so, poet. you know, we're meeting tomorrow uh, before the reading, oh. um, the <laughs> three of us. And so we'll do our usual, what we've done last time when we were together, um, having some coffee with drinks together before the reading and talking about the old times. And, and I'll be the student again, and there'll be the two teachers again. <laughs> it's funny how those roles reemerged. Yes, they? yeah, they're just amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun to read with the two of them because they're both huge. They're very tall and they both have these white beards, you know, so I, that was there, the short one in a minute. It was great fun. Oh. Well, uh, Lily's from America. Um, it's it's also, it's Poetry Book Society special commendation it's received. Um, let's talk about the book, Carmen, now. Um, when did you decide you've, you've been... It sounds like you you're you're writing, you're always you're producing poems. Poems are part of like the way you're living. In the meantime, you also recorded a, an audio documentary for BBC. Yes. Um, as well. Uh, yeah, it's called The Men Who Went Looking for Freedom. So um when we went to Romania into the prisons, that was all filmed by the BBC, and we made a film which was broadcast internationally in 2014. Um, and then I, I wrote the book between, between 2013 and 2015, the second memoir. Um, and releasing The Porcelain Birds, I wrote it around that time. Um, so the two books I wrote pretty much at the same time, the book of poems and the memoir. Um, but yes, we went to the BBC to film those prisons. It's the way we actually managed to get access into the prisons because they helped us to, to get all the clearances and, and to, you know, um, to, for, for people to open the doors for us. So you were able to access the files on your family, the secret police files. On my own. On your own. And, and begin that. And then uh, BBC has approached me about the documentary. They've made some programs on me, some smaller ones. And then uh, they've approached me about this one-hour-long documentary. Um, and then we went to Romania. We filmed it. And I also made the radio documentary, which I presented myself. It's called The Man Who Went Looking for Freedom. So you, you, you can listen to that. That's yes. what I was able to hear part of. I wasn't able to access the, the video documentary. But. Yes, but the, the radio one is there. You can... Uh, you can easily listen to it. And when you say we, it was, was it the whole family that returned or was it? Oh, I took the whole family. Uh, it, it was, it, it is a family story. Uh, the whole family has been 
involved in in this idea of you know communism and what it has done to people um it it's very personal there's nothing there that is abstract where it, it, there's nothing there that happens to other people everything has happened to us as all the other people all together and so um we wanted to go together we wanted to see what my father has been talking about and what my father hasn't been talking about there were certain things that they were so painful he didn't talk about them till we were there until i confronted him um uh, about the files you know beatings he had suffered um that his ribs were broken and he didn't talk about them and he didn't remember them and i had to show him the the x-rays the film x-rays that i found in a files and say what what ha- what, what happened there so that was um a journey so my brother was there my mother was there my sister was there i was there the bbc was there filming <laughs> us i mean it was you know so at some point we're laughing about it we thought what well, this is a wedding you know <laughs> what is this um what was particularly moving was the night before we went to ayud prison we sang we 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 after a very very long trip i mean it was a long trip we even went to the iron curtain when my father tried to escape and he was shot at and then they sent him back to romania so we did about 2200 kilometers or something like this within you know uh two weeks or something well a few days actually less less than two weeks and so we the night when we got to ayud we we checked into a hotel um i had bought a very very fancy expensive bottle of cognac from geneva and i thought this has got to be my check off moment when you <laughs> smash the bottle of the cognac on the stones of suffering and then i'm going to put it everything behind and so we drank the bottle of cognac and then my father we started singing songs that we used to sing to my parents as children so that was my sister and i and then they joined in And then my father started to remember and sing these songs that prisoners were singing to each other about the wives left at home who forgot them inside or who um who married the informers or the secret police uh, you know uh about there was a particular song that made everybody cry there was about a daughter who came to tell her father in prison that your mo- that mother no longer is with you she she has another there's another father for me you know stuff like this so there was my father and there was such a healing moment um it, for us to say that we can we can get through this together as we have always got through it together but now we can get through this together we can take this story and we can understand it for what it is um and it was magical absolutely magical the next day we were all you know it was my father there's a memory that i have with him outside the prison there is a plaque with the names of everybody who has died under torture there all the dissenters and he stood there reading every single name every single name a litany and and i was thinking in my head as much as i want to walk in his footsteps as much as i am part of his flesh and blood as his child i will never know what he's thinking as he reads all those names because only he has in his mind's eyes those images of what happened and then you're thinking what for and isn't it important that's and isn't it personal and isn't it for just each of us that's what i was you know 
there is that sense where you feel that as close as you can be with someone, you will never understand fully what that person thinks, what that person feels. You know, the feeling of, uh, of the distance as well as the, the, the feeling of being together. There was that chasm of history between us that we can only watch at, the, at a distance from him. So in that sense, it was, it was really very powerful, yeah. It seems like when there is this trauma and this, this forced trauma uh, on, on families, on people, um, it, cr- it creates even more of that distance. Because I know what you're talking about is a very human thing. It's true of, of each of us, no matter how much we want and, and want so badly to know the experience of a, a loved one. We won't know it exactly, like, no matter who you are. Yeah. Um, but I think with this, this trauma and what the government did, it caused an even bigger chasm and distancing. And I almost feel like I wonder if that's part of what your experience was, too. Um, why there was, and that why it was necessary to return to the work. There was some, something is necessary about making poems because it's distancing with the use of language, like what you can do with language. That's a way into the feeling or the story that might not have been possible to start with at the beginning. That's exactly right. There is, when grief is too strong, is almost like madness. You cannot uh, verbalize it. You cannot find the right words for it. When you have some distance from it, you can return to it and you can, you can explain it. You can treat it from a point of being calm. This is what poetry does. Because when you are forced to look at how the life of the line in a poem is going to go, momentarily you forget that grief that you're trying to express, in fact. So it's exactly what you're saying. The, the, it allows you the necessary distancing to turn it into an object of art. But that object of art is really nothing more than a very direct and simple expression of the feelings of grief. I don't know if it makes sense. It's, it doesn't come, it cannot come as a howl. It has to come in beautiful words in, in order for it to be understood. And so this is where I find myself sort of as a, how do I say, my father calls me my little philosopher, the, <laughs> the, 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 the one who puts everything into words in our family. Yes. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back. Today, Carmen Bugan is here. Lilies from America, new and selected poems out with Shearsman Books. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back. Il fait si froid dehors Ici c'est confortable Laissez-vous faire, Milord Et prenez bien vos aises Vos peines sur mon cœur Et vos pieds sur une chaise Je vous connais, Milord Vous ne m'avez jamais vu Je ne suis qu'une fille du port Une ombre de la rue Pourtant je vous ai frôlé Quand vous passiez hier Vous n'étiez pas peu fière d'âme Le ciel vous comblait Votre foulard de soie Flottant sur vos épaules Vous aviez le beau rôle On aurait dit le roi Vous m'a 
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Carmen Bugan is here. Lilies from America, new and selected poems. The book on the table with us. Carmen will be at Literati tomorrow reading at 7 o'clock with David Cope. Um, so you can go and see Carmen, ask some questions, potentially hear the poems in person. And now we're going to hear a poem here. Uh, Carmen, do you mind? Uh, which one are you going... What, what are you going to read? And So we were talking in the earlier segment about my visit to inside the prisons uh, with my father, where I asked him to tell me the stories of how people were being tortured and what the conditions of life were then. This is 1960s. Um, in Romania. When he was in prison. When he was imprisoned. And, um, and you were returning in 2014? 2013. 2013. I was returning to make a documentary with the BBC um, and also to make sense of the files and uh, the history for myself for my book of poems, Releasing the Porcelain Birds, and for my memoir, Life Without a Country, which is now in manuscript. But one of the things that I found on the walls... Um, were these scribbles made with the chains. So, you know, the, the prison that we visited then, where the poem is located, is called the Jilava prison, was very notorious for um, torturing people. And for it, they had these little cells, no bigger than this table here, where people stood uh, in complete darkness under the ground. Um, and I found scribbling on the walls, and most of the scribbling were prayers. And then I, being there with my father, he has suffered in solitary confinement uh, for months at the time, carrying 45 kilograms of chains on his arms and on his legs. Um, and um, I, I tried to imagine what it would be like if you were a poet there, what it would be. So I wrote this poem, The Prisoner Scribe's Allowance. The description in it are really what my father saw that was happening in there and what the tour guide was explaining to us that was happening in there. The prisoner scribes allowance. Walls are manuscripts and finished books illuminated with what the poet found in his cell. Words of prayer snagged around the throats of rats weaving the soul with the spider's net working its way in the darkness by the boarded window that only serves to remind him of the sky and air he could not let himself dream for. Beware the dreams inside those rooms. They spring at you for a clean kill. Punishment must be like this, my father said. After all, you tried to change a country. Don't dream in there. The guards do not give the prisoner scribe a pen. That would turn the scribe into a man. He is left alone with the walls. But what riches those walls. The souls of others spilled out on their cement face, their ghosts dancing in the shadows of the scribe's mind, material for books, four canvases wide open, and 45 kilograms of chains to turn into writing instruments. The rust, the dried blood, here's the ink. 
He chooses the wall by the invisible window and begins to write with the links of the chains, moving his body around, etching the letters into the cement, until the first line comes out. Our Father, who art in heaven. He looks at his work. He has written over someone else's line. He writes between another's lines, Hallowed be thy name. And beside another's, Thy kingdom come. Then he illuminates the manuscript. Now his nail is the pen, ink the blood on his knuckle, his instrument. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you. Yeah, so I mean, this looking at those, I, I, I tried to put myself into the mind of someone who might be seeing the suffering of others on a walls. Um, there were very inhuman conditions. I mean, you go and you stand in those rooms and you think a soul cannot live there. It has to die. And yet, people have come alive. My father has come alive. And I think the normality that we enjoy today, sitting around at a game of chess, and he's, you know, 85 years old and... Him, you know, making fun of, you know, us and the silliness, you know, over Christmas holidays and our songs and everything else. Um, it's so incredible that, you know, it could still, uh, our hearts can withstand that. And so there is a sense of gratitude, too, that I feel um, having seen that and, and having tried to imagine what it would be like to be there. Is it part of some kind of reckoning, Carmen, like with the history of it and with... I think so. I mean, I've been angry most of my life. And then when I went there, a big part of me wanted to scream, why have you done this to my father? There is a sense of sort of this child coming from the future and pounding her fist, uh, you know, onto the table saying, why, 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 why is it necessary to kill each other? Why is it necessary? Just, he hasn't done anything. He's, he's, he said, I don't want to live with the communists. I want to have, I mean, he started protesting because he owned a TV and radio repair shop. He was making enough money to feel comfortable. He bought himself a fancy motorcycle. He, you know, he, he was enjoying his beer with his friends. He, he was a young man, you know, this is 1958, 1959. And suddenly uh, the communists came over, the shop was gone. They, they wanted him to give 70% of everything that he was making. Everything had to be communal. And he was angry. So just because he said no, he had to go through all of this. Then when, when, when he saw that he couldn't change things, he tried to run away from the country, he was being brought back and tortured even more because then he was a defector. Then he came back, he tried to have a normal life, he married my mother, he had us children, and the sh big uh, food shortages and, and electricity shortages started in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s in Romania. So what did he do? He typed protest leaflets at, a, at the typewriter. Then he had to bury the typewriter because they were illegal. And so he spread them all over the country, but he fought with words. He didn't deserve all of that. Um, and of course, I was angry. I was angry also because my life was affected by it. My life was turned, turned out to be a terrible nightmare as a child. 
I felt like my childhood was sacrificed uh, to this. Um, so it's a part of reckoning, yes, going back and trying to uh, make sense of it, trying to put the pieces together. But also trying to, as you'll see, towards the end of the book, I have these poems for my children and the normality that I always had craved, um, that now I'm blessed to have. And this is something that here, again, people look at normality and they think it's boring. There's nothing boring about being bored watching TV. It's such a blessing. There's so many people out there in the world who, you know, who, whose family gets shot to pieces. And then, you know, coming from the story, coming from the background that I've come, I treasure every single day with my kids running around the house, you know, saying, Mommy, what am I going to do next? So that also for me is, is, is a way of just sort of uh, shouting out into the world. You know, if you're blessed with a good life, cherish it and then... And, and, this democracy and this freedom that we have, it takes a lot of work to keep it. It's, it's like an egg. It can break very quickly, and then there's nothing. Is that part of the next part of your work then, Carmen? Because you're, you're here, you're back in the U.S. in this, this historical moment where it seems that many Americans have been um, conditioned to take a lot of things for granted um, and some of the things, uh, it seems like some of our political systems could even be, um, endangered at this point. Um, yes, because fighting with words, like, I, I think it's really interesting and inspiring hearing your family's story and also in some ways sobering thinking about you, you can't take freedom for granted. Absolutely not. And I think uh, since coming in the United States, his, since returning to the United States in 2016, um, I, I feel uh, threatened in a lot of ways because I feel that the, the political language uh, has been debased. Um, what, we meant, what we're meant to understand by freedom, by the word freedom, has been debased. And I think that um, there is a sense of uh, vulgarity in a media. There is a sense of vulgarity in a cultural discourse. There is a sense that everybody can say what they want at the expense of everybody else. And no one is stepping back to say, how can we measure the language to make space for lucidity here? And what is it that we really need to protect? And how do we protect it? Um, what is the image? I mean, now I'm an American citizen. I feel a responsibility. What is the image of America that I want to bring out there? And what kind of America do I want to raise my kids in? I mean, do we really need to build all these cultural war, uh, walls around us? Do we need to build all this fear of the others? Do we need to, to feel so superior to all the other countries in the world that we need to talk to them like big bullies. There's a lot, there's a lot. And I feel that the media is taking so much advantage of the political circus and is not doing a service to anybody because there is just, everything is for effect. Everything is for the shock value. Um, so yes, I mean, I would like to say that at least I'm not the politician. Um, and I'm not a big cultural 
critic, but I think as a poet, I can say we can step back and we can find a language adequate um, for for our condition now. We can talk to each other, not shout at each other. And, and I think that's a good place to start. Today on Living Writers, Carmen Bugan, Carmen Bugan is here. Lilies from America, new and selected poems. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Carmen Bugan is here. Lilies from America. New and selected poems out with Shearsman Books UK. Carmen, thanks again for talking today. Thanks for choosing the songs for today's program. Yes, this was Recuerdos de la Alhambras, um, one of my favorite pieces. It's it's I, I write a lot to this uh, music, so... Um, it's, go- it's a gorgeous uh, piece. Do, does it feel, do you do that because of how it allows you to to key into something that's evocative of yes, feeling it and takes, emotion? Uh, specifically or? this piece, it just takes you to, 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 a, to a very dreamy place. To, to, it takes you away somewhere and then you're trying to find out where, where that away is while you listen to the music. Could you will, will you read a poem for, for us from Lilies from America? Yes, I mean, um, speaking about the blessings of the normality of life um, and and how happy uh, I find myself now in the middle of my life um, having that blessing. I'd like to read a poem called "A Boy Playing the Cello," and it's written for my son Stefano. The chair he sits on is two hundred years old. It modulates like the voice of his grandfather, welcoming him to sit on his lap. He straightens his back holding the cello as if they're old friends. The two are about the same size. This tree was chosen to make a different kind of music, from that of rain and wind that fell on its leaves, or from the dry woodpecker knock 
the scratching claws of squirrels up and down its bark, branches and twigs, the song of cardinals, robins and blue jays darting back and forth. The boy holds the cello in his arms. His eyes are full of music, dreamy with notes about to happen. And the bow, the bow lies near like a promise of a journey. When he begins to play, I think the heart of the tree gladdens in the dry, sunny house, giving into memories that long for summer thunderstorms, dawn choruses in a low, echoing sound. The wood transformed, returns to its essence, and the boy brings the marvelous into the house. And my daughter, Alisa, has just taken up the violin. She's eight. She's just taken up the violin, so I think a poem for her is coming in the next collection. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. She is, <laughs> She'll be watching for it. She will be watching Stay for tuned. it. Stay tuned. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so. she's, she's so cute playing her violin, and then she's so intensely listening to all the sounds that she's mm. making, so it's wonderful to watch the two of them. It's a beautiful last line, too, bringing the marvelous into the house. Thank you. And in this poem, I've noticed throughout the entire selected collection here, the, the birds, the presence of the natural world, the light and, and shadows from outside, the interior versus exterior, but definitely birds and flowers throughout. It's not just the title, lilies, all kinds of plants and trees. And, um, and it seems like the, the theme of planting a garden that's so big yes. for your family I believe is very close to your heart it it means maybe something about the land and being rooted to a place yes and also planting memories of the old life and also bringing those memories and growing them and keeping them alive so all of the you know the different plants that they they plant in their new house, my parents, in their, in their garden. They're all sort of seeds from Romania, were, were flowers that we used to have in Romania. So every, every time I go over there, they show me a different one that we used to have. So that's really nice to have that. It's definitely a, continue, a continuation and a retelling, really, of, you know, our life used to be like this, but look, we have these lilies here, and look that we have these flowers here. So, yes. And maybe one of the Michigan lilies is in there, too. That's right. Yes, for, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we've got another poem here. Love. Do you mind? Yes, I would love to read that one. So this is written, again, it's for my parents and their garden. Um, in the morning, when I walk outside, she is waist deep in tomato vines, collecting the first batch in a glass bowl. Cucumbers hang below the yellow flowers. Purple chili shine from a flat bush under green bell peppers. He takes me by the hand to the garage, where he now has a fridge, a sink, and a grill in the place where he used to keep tools. Three of the walls are still large altars with the pictures of us children, each one a wall and a vase of flowers, an icon were across. He opens a bottle of whiskey he had been keeping for a day just like this when I might be visiting. And never mind, it's only half past ten. He fills the glasses with a smile wider than the sunflowers outside the door. Oh, come and drink with me, my child, he says. 
Around his aorta, the tumor coils. Inside his heart, there is the cleanest blood, the pure happiness of being old, at peace with all that life has offered. She, five fractured ribs, walks slowly with the morning's harvest, and we light the grill. She won't drink, but will hold the glass to toast the year's reward, their daughter home. I walk around the garden with them, taking pictures of the willow they had planted the year I married, which now shades the entrance, the calla lilies, queens of the night and honeysuckle bushes, purple pansies and pink mouth-of-the-lion blooms. And I pray that every full stop I put in these lines is in the right place. Every comma after the right time that passes between walking from one flower to another while the glass is empty slowly and we are grateful that we still can have that one drink together standing in the sunshine with a song of birds. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you. With a song of birds. And there's so many so many and now we have in Stony Brook we have we're really really enjoying the blue jays and the cardinals and the woodpeckers um, and my children haven't seen them before so now we're going around and seeing you know the blue jays are quite big and they fly like tiny tiny little airplanes you know just below the kitchen window and then we have deer coming into the backyard and so everything is is, is amazing and new for, for for my children here and and in this and uh, that's lovely and in this poem love carmen um the words that you that you mention in towards the end of the poem and the moment with the comma and wanting to make sure everything is right captured right um it's like a love poem for the making of poems as well as for your family your parents this garden that they've planted Oh, thank you. Yes, I mean, it's writing has always been linked with with them, with with us, uh, with everybody in a family. So, it's been it cannot exist. I don't I don't know what I'd write about if actually I didn't have them. I, I I've never written about anything else. Well, I've written about many other things, but everything in a context of them listening or being there. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. The, they were always part of it. They're always part of it. So I think it's just sort of, it seems like the flowers, what would they grow for if they were not around? You know? And then the writing wouldn't have anything to fill itself with if it wasn't there. So whether that's because of our traumatic past that caught, that brought more to the mind, the attention, to the relationship between the writing and our feelings and, and our family, or whether because um, it's an accident, I have no idea. <laughs> but it's there, yeah. And if it is an accident, it's a happy accident. Thank <laughs> goodness for it. Then. Um, and the, your, your last poems in Lilies from America, the words are present almost, I think the, the last section of it is even titled, um, And Now the Words. Yes. Yes. Now it's I'm moving more towards a meditation on language 
uh, as I said before, because of the worries I have about language. But also, I want to make sure that we celebrate what's so beautiful about language. Um, and also the kind of happiness that the English language has given me and how it restored to me the Romanian language. It's been great talking with you today, Carmen. I can't wait for the next time. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Today on Living Writers, Carmen Bougain, Lilies from America, New and Selected Poems. Um, thanks to, to Gina and Sam for engineering. Thanks to Frank Uli for post-production. Thanks to you for listening. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Questa è la storia di uno di noi Anche lui nato per caso in via Gluck In una casa fuori città Gente tranquilla che lavorava Là dove c'era l'erba ora c'è una città e quella casa in mezzo al verde ormai dove sarà questo ragazzo della via Gru si divertiva a giocare con me ma un giorno disse Vado in città e lo diceva mentre piangeva Io gli domando amico non sei contento Vai finalmente a stare in città La troverai le cose che non hai avuto qui Potrai lavarti casa senza andar giù nel cortile mio caro amico disse qui sono nato e in questa strada ora lascio il mio cuore ma come fai a non capire è una fortuna per voi che restate a piedi nudi a giocare nei prati mentre là in centro io respiro il cemento ma verrà un giorno che ritornerò ancora qui e sentirò l'amico treno che fischia così Welcome, everybody, to the Daily Sports Report here on 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I am Charlie Brigham, and alongside me is my uh, you know, board of panelists. We have Vanessa Lickard, uh, Andy Laidlaw, Andrew Miller, and Adam Bressler. How are you doing, everybody? Pretty great. Doing very well, besides my run from uh, my 6 o'clock class to here. Everything else is good. <laughs> I mean, What I an athlete. I know. Hard work. Well, how far did you have to run? Because I have, I have education class. Building. Education? Yeah. 
I mean, I dipped out of my uh, I dipped out of my class that should have ended at seven to make it here on time. See, that's so that's just not a dedicated student. Yeah, that's just no dedication. Okay, what it's a film. You? It's a film screening, so I I can watch Network anytime at my house. So thank sounds, you. Very sounds much. like a good excuse to me. Yeah, both of you are <laughs> inspirational. I just walked here from my three-hour nap. Oh. Um, and my, oh, my house that. is See, my that, house that's is near. Yeah, three-hour three nap. That's actually really impressive. Yeah, that's inspiration right there. See, when you when you go to WCBN, you not only get sports news and the best music around, but you also get uh, accurate representations yeah, of, get, of naps, Ann Arbor geography. You get naps, weird runs from random buildings, and uh, probably a bunch of nonsense for 28 minutes. So. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations, listeners. This will be the best <laughs> half an hour of your life. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to start things off in the NFL today. Uh, or not today, but yesterday, really. Luke Keekley. Ooh. Decided to retire, calling it quits after eight years, isn't it? Nine. Nine? I think nine, yeah. What do you it, think about that, Miller? I mean, Luke 